And I remember just having this moment where I realized that it was going to be okay. And I didn't know how it was going to happen, but somehow I was like, that was when I really let go of this idea that, that I couldn't be the right person for her. I know firsthand that when you're raising a challenging, reactive, or aggressive dog, that life isn't all unicorns and rainbows. But I also know that it helps to hear other people's stories. My name is Kaiser van Overbeek, and on this podcast, we share stories of the force-free training journeys of amazing dogs who are just a little rough around the edges. Welcome, everybody. Today, I am once again <laughs> talking to someone from the U.S., um, Massachusetts this time. I'm talking to Tara Stillwell, and she has three dogs. And before I give away too much, I'm just going to ask her, you in this case, Tara, to introduce yourself. All right. Um, so I have three dogs. Um, I also have a son and a husband, just to give you context of the whole picture. Um, two of the dogs actually belong to my son. Um, we have a miniature American Shepherd. He's the oldest, and he was my son's first agility dog. Um, and we have Eva, who is a Border Collie, and she is my dog that I got to do agility with once I saw how much fun my son was having. Um, and also as a transition from the horse world, which I had been in my whole life as a hunter, hunter jumper, um, trainer, and um, a professional riding instructor, and also just did it on my own for pleasure. Um, and so she was supposed to be helping me ease out of that world into the, a different sport world. Um, and then the third dog we have is another border collie. She's the youngest that, and her name is Curry. Um, she's my son's serious competition agility dog that got cut short by COVID. Um, and now he's on to other things and Curry is just part of the pack, um, causing chaos with all of, all of the madness that is our household of three herding dogs. Um, yeah, so I think that's, that's our household. So three herding dogs. All right. How did you get to three herding dogs and why herding dogs? How did that come? Um, well, herding dogs started out as, um, with my passion for, uh, corgis. I had had my, um, first dog as an adult was a corgi uh, that I got when I was in college. Um, and she was tragically killed um, by getting uh, a glancing blow from a horse when she came out in the field with me um, to, uh, you know, gather up a horse to bring in to ride, um, which was horrible and tragic and sad and definitely made me much more panicky about um, the potential for dogs getting injured. I just honestly never thought anything about doing things like that with a dog. Um, the way I grew up with dogs, they were just loose and basically had their own lives. They were allowed to come and go as they pleased in and out of the house. Um, in the horse world where I grew up, there were dogs always at the barn, at the horse shows. They were never on leashes. Um, there were really no issues. Um, so it was a bit of a shock to me that something like that could happen. Um, and when I, after she was killed, I got another Corgi, her name was Scuttle and she did my young adult years with me. She lived in 13 different places. I traveled around a lot, um, moved around a lot. 
in the horse world and then uh, married a Navy man. And she went through all of that. Um, she was there for my son being born. Um, and she died at 13 um, when my son was about two years old. So, um, and to me, she was kind of the perfect dog. So looking back, she was not very typical for a corgi. She was not barky. She was not very herdy. Um, but she also had a very different life than the kind of, than the kind of life our dogs live now. So, um, and I thought about getting a, a corgi. I actually did get another corgi come to think of it. Um, at the same time we had our corgi, we had a golden retriever when the corgi passed away. Um, we just had the golden, he was my husband's dog, lovely dog, did have some dog directed aggression issues though. And I did get another corgi at one point and it was not the right time. And we ended up rehoming that dog, but it was just always in the back of my mind that I would either get another corgi or another herding dog. And, um, I worried about corgis for agility with their long backs and my corgi had had some back issues and I was like, eh, maybe not the best choice. So, um, when the golden passed away, my son really, really wanted another dog. And we got Duke as a rehome from another family that had to move overseas. Um, we thought herding breed, sure, this will be great. Miniature American Shepherd is not a corgi. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then the more he got into agility and the Miniature American Shepherd was great, except for when he wasn't. And, um, we took it as he was very distractible. So we were going to get a dog that was way more focused. And so when I got a dog, I, I got a border collie because there you can't, you know, once they get on the agility, nothing's going to distract them because they're so, you know, laser focused on the agility and they're super athletic. And I thought, you know, that will be fine. Um, and it was um, a bit of a, uh, like I said before, when we were talking, it was a bit like, um, trying to learn how to drive in a Lamborghini. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know all this agility handling stuff. It's really hard. I'm pretty spatially confused anyway. So trying to be where I needed to be when the dog is like 7,000 times faster than I am and faster thinking more power, um, I probably needed the Corgi or, or some other small, slightly slower dog to try to <laughs> learn this sport. So, you know, all these expectations coming in, um, you know, when I got Eva, it was a lot to put on her. She was, she was going to help me, you know, ease my sadness of leaving the horse world behind. And she was going to you know, be this fantastic agility sport dog. And I was going to do all these great things with her. Um, and um, that is not how it turned out. But that's how it all got started with all the herding dogs. And then the, the extra herding dog came in and we probably don't have time to talk all about Curry and her fabulous fun things, but, but she, um, she came into the picture um, again because then now I had Eva and my son wanted a more focused, um, you know, slightly higher power agility dog as well. And so then he got a border collie. Um, Curry is a small border collie. So she fits into the jumping size category that Shelties fit into. So she was going to be super, super competitive in that division. Um, and she is a fantastic little agility dog and she's a really cool dog. Um, but she um, helped set off um, some inter-household aggression issues. Um, having the two female border collies in the same house was very challenging. Um, and then COVID hit. So um, the agility competition stopped. And in the meantime of all that happening, my son kind of moved on to different focuses. So, so now we had one medium power agility dog that was distractible and two high power agility dogs um, that didn't have a job. <laughs> so, 
and, and Curry's job because her handler lost interest and Eva because um, her high power and her um, drive and some of the ways that I just didn't know what I was doing um, contributed to um, some some injuries that just kept recurring and it very I kept trying and trying to rehab her and restart the training and finally had to come to the point that agility was not going to be in the cards for us um and because that was my whole expectation of what I got her for I had a lot of resentment um had this dog that was behaviorally challenging. She had started attacking Curry. Um, she couldn't do the agility. Uh, I did some rally with her. I did um, some obedience. I did actually, she has some rally, a rally title. Um, but what I really wanted to do was agility. And it's like, well, I, you know, do I need a different dog? Um, and some of that was probably due to um, trying to bring her back too quickly after that surgery. But I, but then there were recurring, they've always been hind limb injuries and it's been, it was mostly on the right side and then it switched to being on the left side. And now it's sort of chronically on the left side if she does too much crazy stuff. Um, but trying to start training and you start getting somewhere and then have her come up lame. And then it's this, oh no, because this is the only dog I'm doing agility with. Now all of my, my social circle, my plans, um, it just stops. And then it's all this stress of trying to restrict this high energy dog and trying to rehab her. And I think a lot of her behavior stuff came from pain, frustration of being restricted. Um, and I had a lot of guilt because I just felt like if I could just be, if I could know all the things that the people who have gone through two or three or more dogs and all the things that they have learned, I just need to know all that now so that I can handle her it, the injuries I think were happening on, on the turns and because I couldn't cue her early enough. So she would be landing and then getting the information about where to go. And that causes a lot of torque on their hind end um, instead of being able to say, okay, we're going to jump this jump. And before she would, you know, even approach that jump, know where she was supposed to go next. Um, and so I just laid all this on myself of if I was a better handler, if I could, you know, think faster and move faster and be where, where she needs me to be so that I can communicate more clearly with her, then she wouldn't keep getting hurt. Um, and that's not, uh, I, I couldn't, I, I mean, I, I couldn't be further along in my learning process just because that's who she needed me to be. And I went through the whole, like, maybe my trainer should just handle her. And then I would see, you know, how she could be with them. And I'm like, yeah, it's totally all me. Like this dog is awesome. And, um, but I don't know that maybe she would have gotten hurt anyway. Maybe, maybe there was some weaknesses. We, we don't have any way of, of knowing that for sure. Um, and then maybe if I had handled the rehab differently or the vet visits differently, maybe she would have not become reactive to veterinary handling. Um, maybe she would have never started um, becoming aggressive to the other dog in the house if she hadn't had the pain issues or the restriction frustration. I don't know. Um, and, you know, we can't go back and, and know that for sure. But there was a lot of me putting a lot of pressure on who I needed her to be. Um, and that cannot have felt good to her of having all those heavy expectations on her. Um, I know dogs pick up on that. They, they can't not pick up on that. They're, they have evolved to be the way they are due to how good they are at picking up on um, social signals from humans. So, I mean, they are innately, that's who they are is 
a being that has become so successful by being able to read humans. So why wouldn't she pick up on all that? Would you say it's both the expectation you put on her and the expectation you put on yourself? Because I, if I hear you say, okay, I expected her you know, to be that dog to help me transition out of the horse world and to be my uh, agility world. But at the same time, I hear you say like, if only I would have been faster or if only I would have, you know, like had three agility dogs like her before me and I would know what all the professionals know that have, you know, like been doing that since they were three then it would be better. So I don't know, would you say it's both, both expectations on yourself and the dog? Absolutely. And, and I did ask myself all that time. I was like, why do you care so much? Why do you need to do this? Why do you, you know, why do you need to do this sport at all? Um, and, and, um, and have these unrealistic expectations of yourself. And, and I knew, I knew that, I couldn't be um, that skilled agility handler yet. I knew I needed to learn. And, um, but I guess that didn't stop me from just blaming myself for not being who she needed me to be. And I wasn't at the point, I'd had a long history of, struggling with why I felt that I needed to do these sports with these animals and how that impacted the relationship. And I think the story I told myself was the relationship is the most important thing to me. And the way I went about it was the best way to enhance this relationship is to do a sport together. Because yes, I know border collies are made for herding sheep, but this border collie was purpose bred for agility and agility is in her blood. That's what she's for. And so if I do this sport with her, it's going to be something we can both enjoy. And I mean, there's nothing more beautiful than watching a, I mean, it would bring tears to my eyes watching some of my fellow agility trainers and competitors running with their dogs. I mean, it's so beautiful watching that connection between an agility handler and their dog that's really in sync and seeing the relationship and how that carries outside of the ring as well. And um, I really liked that the a lot of the people that did agility with their dogs were more accepting of a lot of different behaviors of their dogs, they're not so fussy about the dog being obedient or they more just were having fun together. They're just doing something fun together. And I thought, you know, that's the kind of relationship I want to have. And so this is the way to do that. And then what are we without it? You know, how I didn't even know how to think about having a relationship with this dog if this sport was gone. And, and then there's the aspect too of it's fun. And I made a lot of friends there and that was my social circle. And I didn't want to give that up either. Um, so so how, how did you figure out then what your relationship was without agility? Um, COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't think I really gave it up. Even when COVID started, when COVID started, um, I had said, all right, we're going to put Eva on the back burner with agility for now. Um, I'm just not even going to think about it with her because all this back and forth is just too hard. This, uh, she wasn't handling the rehab anymore. So I was like, I can't even rehab her. She's just going to have to chill and we're just going to have to manage her body the best we can. I'm going to try to give her as much freedom as I can. because I knew that was causing issues for her. Um, and kind of balance the whole, if I give her too much freedom, she's gonna, even if we're not doing agility, she's gonna hurt herself in the yard. So kind of manage her with, you know, as loosely as I could. And I started doing agility with Duke and we were doing some uh, virtual lessons with our local trainer, which was awesome. I mean, she did such a good job of, of um, coming up with lessons for us to do and we'd video and we'd send it back and forth. And we were having so much fun. It was, it was really good. And Duke is 
slower. So I was learning some things and we thought, okay, this is, this is going to work out and I'll be able to take that back to Eva. Um, and Hunter was doing the same thing with Curry, but cause the pandemic was just going to be short. Right. I mean, we were going to just stay home for a little while and oh, then yeah. we're going to go, yeah, we were going to go back to normal. It was going to be fine. Um, but it just kept going on and on and on. And, um, and we eventually just kind of got like, without, we were training. So like trials are going to start back up and we're going to go back to it. Right. And we're going to go back and we're going to see our friends and it's going to be great. Um, and then it just was going on and on. And we're like, you know what, even when they start back up, what's it going to be like? And it's not going to be the same. We're not going to just be hanging out by the ring, chatting with our friends and everyone's going to be a mass and we're going to have to be in and out quickly. And do we really even want to do it like that? And we just kind of gradually stopped training. Um, and at the same time, there was all the inner household aggression stuff going on between Eva and Curry. And I started, um, well, I was listening to a podcast. Um, it's called bad dog agility. And cause I'm still like, yeah, learning all the agility stuff, right? Like, this is great. Um, I'm just going to use this time, just learn as much as I can. Um, but they, um, I can't remember which of the hosts mentioned, but they said, you know, some of this agility training stuff is really more kind of behavior stuff. And you might want to look at this. And um, they said, you know, our, our sport dog behavior professional of choice is Sarah Streming. Um, and, you know, she really gets, you know, sport dogs. And, and I thought, hmm, yeah, I'm going to check this out. So I started listening to her podcast, uh, Cog Dog Radio. And some things started clicking in my mind of um, connection between some of these behaviors I was seeing and some of the um, sport dog training that I thought I was doing, you know, building enthusiasm and kind of amping her up and doing the toys and all of that, which <clears throat> I think for this particular dog and for me, she needed more like calm and, and we had been working on that with, with trainers, um, figured that out pretty early in the game that we needed to be just mellowing with this dog, but I wasn't seeing some of the connections, I think, between some of the sport training and some of the household stuff. Um, and so I listened to Sarah's podcast enough that I was like, I think I should probably work with this person. And before the pandemic, I would have never thought of working with a trainer virtually. Like you just worked with whoever was local. Um, but you know, the virtual stuff started becoming more of a thing. And so, um, I did a, I just did an initial consult with her to start and, um, she had, I think the two best things that she had me do is she said, um, and I'd never heard of Kathy Sadeo. I'd never heard of like so much of this stuff. I was so focused on the sport dog stuff. Um, but she, and I didn't know it came from Kathy Sadeo at the time, but she said, I want you to do this thing called smart times 50. And so you set aside, you know, 50 pieces of their food and 50 times a day, you're looking for something that you see the dog doing that you like and you reinforce them for it. And it really changed my perspective from focusing on all the things I didn't like that she was doing to um, all the things that she was doing that were good. Um, and that really helped. And the other thing she said is just in your interactions with her, focus on things that are joyful for her. So figure out not things that are like exciting, but joy, you know, what activities do you do together that are joy based? Um, so I thought about that and, and so many of our interactions were just me about me doing things to her or, um, you know, requiring her to do things. But one, we had a little game that we had come up with and it was a little Frisbee game that we played, not like throw the Frisbee and she runs and catches it, but more of like a soft toss the Frisbee to her. Um, and we just had this little way we played it and it was just fun. There were no expectations or no rules really. Um, so we started doing that more. Um, and then Sarah also got us um, 
working on this concept of decompression walks, um, which I think, you know, Sarah's pretty famous for at this point. Um, and a lot of people know what that's all about. And that's been a long process for me of figuring out what is a decompression walk for this dog and for this particular dog, right? Yeah, it's, and, and I don't think it, and I think Sarah's really good about saying like, there's no recipe for this. There's no one way of doing it. And it took, it, it's still a process, but I think we have a pretty good handle on, on it now. And I can read her as far as, I used to think of it more as you got to get the dog tired, but um, now I can see more for her. Yes, yeah, she does need a, some like vigorous exercise, but it's got to be balanced with this time of decompression and learning how to read that in my dog and see all of the different things that add stress to her life and that she needs to process that out. Um, that was, was really helpful. Do you think, um, um, like, or I'm more thinking when, because it sounds like when she came into your life, she had a purpose, right? To be your agility yeah. dog and to do a certain thing, live up to a certain standard. And then what I'm hearing you say now, after like working with Sarah, you're looking at, okay, what can I do that provides her joy? What can I do um, that works for her? Like, can you pinpoint whether when you shifted your thinking in that way or like, was there something specific or did it happen gradually? Um, I think it happened gradually, but I can, at the same time I started working with Sarah, I also took her to a veterinary behaviorist and we started down the medication road, which took a while. And, um, that, that was so supportive and so patient. And there were a couple other local friends that were, that I was also, you know, venting and reaching out to with my sob story of like, I really, for a long time thought I had to rehome her because, um, I was like, she, she would just be better off with someone that was, um, like if they were a a good agility handler, they could probably still do agility with her and she could serve, you know, that purpose in her life or especially, um, a single dog home or a dog, a home that didn't have another female in it. And I just thought, you know, this just isn't fair, um, to make her have her life be this hard. And so I'm, you know, I was just on that, like, yeah, I would let myself, I'd go down that road and be like, I've got to rehome her. And then I'm like, Oh, I just, I can't, I, I, there's so many cool things about this dog and I put so much into her and, um, I can't say I was at the point where I was really, I w I was hanging on more because I was worried about what would happen to her if I rehomed her. Um, I wasn't at the point where I was like, um, I have a really good relationship with this dog and that's why I want to keep her. Um, but I do remember it was after I had started working with Sarah, I did a bunch of, um, Fancy Dog Sports Academy classes with her. I was slowly kind of coming around to understanding her better, understanding the side of the border collie that is very much similar to me of being um, very concerned about controlling things in their environment. So instead of, I think thinking of a border collie as a herder is a gross oversimplification. Um, I think it's looking at them as being hardwired to notice and control everything in their environment. And what Sarah said to me was that, um, that I needed to control the environment for her instead of basically telling her you can't control it, you know? So, um, because the way she was trying to control it was not appropriate, um, or safe. So I, I've gotten better at managing her environment so that there aren't so many things that she feels like she has to control. But, um, have you also gotten better? I'm sorry. I'm just, cause something triggered now in managing 
I, I guess I want to say your own mind, because at first, what I heard you say was, if only I were a better agility trainer, then, you know, like if only I knew more about this, then, which to me reeks of that concept that we actually discussed, like before we got onto recording, like there's no bad dogs, there's only bad trainers, which mm -hmm. I, I think I understand how that saying came into being that the original intention was to, to protect dogs from being labeled bad. But yeah. I think the, the, the flip side of that is that we tend to take it as well. If I can't get my dog to fill in the blank, then it must be me, which I yeah. find very hurtful in a lot of times because I think we've been told this lie that if only we, you know, like get the perfect dog from the perfect breeder at the perfect time and we do everything great, then they're going to be perfect. And if not, then that's all on us. And that's almost right. what I heard you say, like, oh, if only I would be a better agility trainer, which A, is painful to think, I think, mm -hmm. and not useful. And now I'm just completely lost my train of thought and have no idea where I'm going with it. But um, where, no, I do know where I'm going with this. Um were you able to also let that part go? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think what I remember coming, I remember being out on a walk with Eva out in the woods on her long line, which is kind of what we have come to as a, because she will chase deer and there's deer everywhere. Um, And that just became a stress point on our walk. So we've come up with a good system of decompression walks on a long line. And I remember just having this moment where I realized that it was going to be okay. And I didn't know how it was going to happen, but somehow I was like, that was when I really let go of this idea that, that I couldn't be the right person for her. And, um, I think I started, I think I started to see how we could have a relationship outside of dog sports um, and that it didn't have to be based on doing this specific activity together. Um, and that did relieve a lot of burden on me of, of, um, you know, I can't have a relationship with this dog unless I can be this better version of myself that like, I couldn't just snap my fingers and make that happen. That said, I, I, it was still a long process and it still is a long process of kind of being okay with things being really bad sometimes and being, um, I'll jump forward a bit because, and just in the interest of time, a couple other things that really, so, so there was that point, there was that point where it was like a turning of a corner, but there was still like a really long road ahead and it still continues and it's, it's the ongoing journey. But, um, Through Sarah Streming's podcast, I ended up finding Marissa Martino's podcast, which she's had quite a few mentions on your podcast. Uh, on my recently. podcast, yes. Um, I love her too. <laughs> which, which makes sense because she really, I mean, she wrote the book, right? Um, Human Canine um, Connection. Yes. And I heard her on Sarah's podcast, immediately bought her book, started listening to every episode of her podcast. And I was just like, you know what, this is the missing piece that people are not talking about. Um, that, that there's so much to do with human psychology and emotion and our thoughts um, and that go into this process. And then she and Sarah paired up and did this, um, started this movement called the, um, the Connection Summit. And I remember, I remember talking to Sarah and she was like, I've got this thing in the works. And then, um, and then when she and Marissa came out with it, I, I was like, well, they made this for me. I, I, mean, I was, just, <laughs> I was just sure that they made it exactly for me. And turns out there were all kinds of other people that felt like they were making it just for them. And, um, just hearing them say that, you know what, 
it can be really hard to live with dogs with behavior challenges. And um, you might resent your dog and that's okay. And you might be angry with yourself and that's okay. And you might have all this shame and that's okay. Um, and talking with other people in that group and just having people open up and be vulnerable and doing much like what you're doing with this, with this podcast of, of normalizing. I mean, we see so many things people put out there and they put out all the cute pictures of their dog and all the fun things they're doing and how great their dog is. And, and there are those moments, right. That, and maybe some people's dogs are just like perfect all the time, but just, I guess, opening up the reality that a lot of times behind the scenes, there's more going on than you know about. And there's a lot of other people out there feeling all these feelings about their dogs and about themselves. And, um, I, you know, it, it just, that just helped so much. It just felt like this huge weight was lifted off. And, and then again, through Sarah's podcast, Sarah's getting a lot of shout outs here. Yeah. Um, yeah, Sarah. <laughs> I, I, uh, thank you, Sarah. I, um, found Kim Brophy and ended up doing a consult with her, um, uh, because I hit a, I've, I really hit a roadblock as far as trying to help Eva with, with, um, going to the vet. It was just, I was doing all these things. I was doing all this great cooperative care training and it was just, it was not making a difference enough to where we could listen to her heart or give her a vaccine or draw blood without it being a, a, a scary thing for everybody. Um, and we kept everyone safe. Um, you know, she where can wear a muzzle is very fine with wearing a muzzle, um, uh, has great bite inhibition. So as much as she has, um, done things, she has never, um, uh, broken any skin. She, it, so we're, able to manage things that way. But I just felt like there was something missing, um, in terms of how I was looking at it and approaching it. Um, so I did a consult with Kim and that was when she was working up this first, um, session of, um, training for, um, mythology and family dog mediation. And so, um, I actually signed up it's for dog professionals. And I'm like, Kim, I really want to do this. Would it be totally out of place? Cause I'm you know, I have animal professional experience, but I'm not a dog professional. And she was like, yeah, you totally belong. Come on. Um, and, and that was another piece of, of just really getting more understanding of, of why, um, why my dog was doing some of the things she was doing and just getting a more of a perspective of, really how hard it is for dogs to live in the world the way we have, but it's not like it was for dogs when I was growing up, even when I was a young adult, um, they're so much more restricted now. Um, they have so little agency. I mean, it, it's, it's got to be frustrating. Um, and I just think coming to some, a place of acceptance of a lot of things, um, more acceptance of, having a different kind of relationship with a dog than I expected to have. Um, and eventually coming to a place where I really, I really appreciate the relationship we have. I, without the losing the agility piece and without COVID, honestly, um, I would have not gotten out in the woods hiking with my dog like I do now. And that's like our big thing now. We we go on these hikes, we're doing kind of cane across style running together. And it's it's a completely different relationship than I expected, but it's it's awesome. And I I really wouldn't change it for anything at this point. Um I still have thoughts maybe of doing agility again at some point, but it's not this kind of looming, like dark cloud of like, Oh, I never got to do this thing that I really wanted to do. I just, I really appreciate the relationship we have and 
I really thought I was going to have to train hard to, to make that happen. I was going to have to do all this behavior modification stuff. And, um, through the family dog mediation training, I really got to a place where I just, I don't do any training anymore. There's, there's, there's no, I mean, she knows a lot of behaviors and some of the things we use as kind of a way to play little games, but, and we do some things that might look like training that are more kind of management things um, where I'm reinforcing um, choices that the dogs are making that allow them to live together more easily. Just, just to be um, clear, the family dog mediation, that's Kim's program also, right? Yes, that's yes. Kim's program. She has an online course going right now. Um, and then once a year, she's teaching the same course in person in Indiana at Wolf Park. Um, if anybody has a chance to do it, you will not regret it. It is life-changing. We're going to link it up in the show notes for sure. Yeah, the online course is amazing as well. And the course content is fantastic. I think, honestly, even if you're not a dog professional, I would encourage anyone to do it. Although this might be a secret. I don't know if I'm giving anything away, but she is working on a shortened course um, that's designed for um, non-dog professionals that will be one or two hours in length. Um, so be looking out for that. But uh, But definitely the whole course is so worth it to to understand um, so much more about um, really who dogs are and why they do the things they do. And there's, uh, there's nothing else that I've seen out there like it. I was just going to so, say, just because um, Kim's, um, Kim also really focuses on, well, I guess maybe I'd ask you to explain, she has this concept called legs, right? Where I forgot yes. what the L stands for. You yeah, you learning, environment, learning? genetics, and self. So, um, and, and what she says is that you have to look at all four legs to really understand a dog. So it's not just about their learning history. Um, it's not just about, you know, their environment that they live in. It's not just about their genetics. It's not just about the individual dog. It's, it's all of it together. You have to look at all four legs in order yeah. to, to get the complete picture. And then there's also, you know, after you come through all of the understanding components, there's also a, a mediation model of instead of looking at, um, you know, we're having this problem with our dog and we're going to, we're going to train it and fix it. It's more of a, you know, which is what I've gone to in, in our household is how can the human's legs, um, cause humans have all the same components to them. How can we understand, um, you know, the human's needs and expectations and behaviors and so forth and where that meets the dogs. And if we're all going to live together, everybody's going to need to make compromises. And sometimes it's just a matter of shifting expectations. Sometimes it's a matter of putting some good management into place. And we talk a lot about, um, a lot about, um, making very predictable routines for, for the dogs around specific things. Um, so that they know what's going to happen. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of what she calls hacks, um, which are just ways of working with the dog that to me, just some of the stuff that she put out there, I was just so relieved. I'm like, Oh, I don't have to work so hard. Mm -hmm. I don't have to learn so many tricky skills and be so vigilant and be so, um, like on top of things all the time, I could just put this management thing into place or put this, this um, routine into place of how we do things. Um, and it just makes living together so much easier. And I, I think it's what so many people want. I mean, a lot of people, I, I got a dog because I did want to train the dog, but a lot of people don't get a dog because they want to train a dog. I certainly didn't get a dog to get into extensive behavior modification protocols. I mean, nobody gets a dog thinking like, let me see if I can find this like really messed up dog so that I can like modify its behavior. I, I mean, you know, yeah, there's a little bit of a thrill you get out of seeing that you can like 
get a dog to do all these things, but I don't think people initially sign up for that. And it was to, to feel like there's a way that we can all live together where it doesn't have to be so hard. Um, and sometimes it is really hard and sometimes it's still really hard and that's okay too. And we can have, that was something Marissa, Marissa had a guest on and, and now she keeps saying it is like all the feelings belong. Um, feel all the feels is what I feel always all say. The feels They're fine. And, and, and that, um, that just kind of having that, giving yourself permission to like, not be okay sometimes. And, um, and giving your dog permission to not be okay sometimes. I mean, sometimes they're just not okay. And at least if you if you are okay with that, instead of saying, well, stop being you know upset or like, you know what? They're having a hard time right now. How can I help the dog with this? And do I have the bandwidth to help them with this right now? Because maybe I didn't get enough sleep or maybe I'm trigger stacked about something and maybe I just can't deal with it right now. Um, and what can I do so that, you know, we just don't all completely lose it here. And that's okay too. Sometimes I was um, thinking something along those lines as well, when it comes to comforting and, um, being okay with your dog doing things. Um, because sometimes like, for example, they can bark because they're upset about something. And when you understand that it comes from them being upset, um, you can look, first of all, you can look at it differently, right? You can look at it from a place of love for them. Like, I understand that you're upset, but then I think yeah. the second part, um, and that's something I'm still working on and I still get messed up every now and then is then I want to comfort them. Like you would comfort a child that is upset, but I do feel that as humans, we often then have the tendency to comfort them and, and sort of say like, it's okay. I know that's yeah. scary, but we're comforting them from a place of them wanting to make the behavior stop. So let me comfort you yes. so you can stop barking because right. that's what I want. Uh, which right. is different from comforting them and just allowing them to also be scared or afraid. Yeah. Um, and they might just have to have those feelings or, or say, yeah, that really is scary. And that really sucks. And I don't want to be, you know, I know you don't want to be near it. So how about let's just get out of here? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, that can be really helpful too. And instead of saying, oh no, it's okay. Um, just calm down and like, be okay with that thing. Maybe we're not going to be okay with that thing and we got to get out of here. Um, and, and that you can't be in a place of like, oh, I have to modify your feelings or your behavior about this. You, that in order for you to do that, you have to be accepting that, okay, they're upset or they're scared and they can feel that way. And we can just get away from it instead of confront it. And that's okay. And I think a lot of, I, for a long time, I just felt a lot of shame about that of like, well, then I'm not a good trainer if I don't figure out how to make them okay with this. And, um, yeah, that I've pretty much left behind. I think, um, that doesn't mean sometimes I don't want them to just stop barking or because I just, you know, can't handle the barking, which with, we have two pretty barky herding dogs uh, of the three um, and one that will join in. Um, and sometimes you just want the noise to stop. And you know what? That's okay too. Our feelings matter as well and our needs. And um, some days we can handle more and other days we can handle less and that's okay. What I wanted to add while we were talking about that is that part of that, um, that allowing the feelings on, on the human side and feelings on the dog side, allowing them all to be there and believing that it's okay, you know, to be frustrated yourself, um, just that it's okay to be annoyed by the barking. I think um, part of being able to accept that more also comes from, um, and I think this was what we were discussing before we started recording was realizing how hard it is for dogs to live in the environment that they are in currently, that they have so much less um, say in their lives, which is stressful for them and which adds on. And we were discussing that also partly because you said when you had your Corgi that they were, I guess, more of what people would then describe as the perfect dog or the good dog or however you, you want to 
talk about that and that they lived a very different life, that your corgi had way more agency, so to say, over what, what they were doing um, than your border collie does now. Even though, as as if we we're using Kim's legs model, that's just one aspect, which is, is basically environment, um, mm-hmm. it's still very important. Oh, and I think that that, I mean, certainly the learning... I think our dogs have, most of them have a different learning environment now with, with more positive reinforcement, force-free training, taking more of a hold. Um, and genetics have changed over time. Obviously breeding programs have gotten different. And, um, I think dogs are facing a lot of different things that would fall into the self category as well. Our feeding practices of dogs have changed and so forth. But I think the thing that's changed the most drastically is the environment that they live in. And so that I, I just, I think about that a lot. And I do think that we, we need to pay attention to, to that. And, um, you know, they're, they're living more indoor lives. They're living more sedentary lives because we are, um, and we have all these leash laws now, um, areas have become busier. It's not necessarily as safe or our risk tolerance has gotten lower. Um, as far as letting dogs, you know, wander and be loose and so forth. Um, and I just, I think it's had a, a, profound impact in on um the behavior of dogs and and the more i think about that the more sympathetic i am to some of the things that we label as behavior problems or reactivity or or whatever the case may be um you know even the simple fact of thinking you have to walk a dog in a neighborhood where there's other people walking dogs and these dogs have got to be thinking like what what are we even doing here i mean it might make more sense to them if we all got together and walked our dogs together. Um, but to have them have to pass by and like, Oh, there's that one. And it, it, there can't be anything that really makes sense to them about any of that. And, and then if you can think of it from that perspective, well, no wonder they're barking and lunging on their leash. I mean, this is just such a terrible predicament we've put them in. Um, so I do, I, I think having that perspective of seeing how, yes, there's many factors, but I do think the way dogs live and, and having less agency and so forth, um, I, I just, I think it's had so much impact on, um, on the behavior. And it does, it, understanding that um, has helped, has helped me be more sympathetic, I think, to some of the behavior challenges that, that I see in not only my dog, but in the other dogs we're encountering. Um, I used to think, oh, that other dog that's, you know, barking at my dog, that dog is just bad, or that person just doesn't have a hold on them, and they need to be doing things differently. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, just the poor dog and the poor person. And it, it, it's just a sucky situation. And I'm just going to give them more space. And if their dog is off leash, I'm not going to expect them to be able to call that dog. We're going to go a different direction or, uh, you know, they're doing the best they can. And, you know, at least they're trying to get their dog out there. And, um, that has helped just changing my perspective there. I think actually that's probably a great note to end on a very compassionate note. And I think if all of us put ourselves in each other's shoes a little bit more and also in our dog's shoes between quotes um i think the world's going to be a better place and the more we talk about about it and the more um we normalize all of this stuff and not label it problems but just identify it as dogs living in the present environment with everything that's going on in their mammal brain um the more normal it's going to be the more easy it's going to be for us to to, I guess, to see them for who they really are, for amazing living sentient beings that are sharing their lives with us. Enough of that. Let me get back to the three questions or the three words, I should say, that yeah. I ask everybody to comment on at the end of the, the episode. I know I mentioned them to you. Their expectation, frustration, and 
celebration. What comes up for you? Yes, uh, I think we, I mean, we talked about a lot of the first two already, but um, the, the um, thing that I didn't mention in terms of expectation um, is the way I kind of look at that now is um, the, it, my expectations, so any like stories I have come up with, and then adding that on to any unmet needs my dog has, um, whether that's an unmet need for exercise or an unmet need for decompression. Uh, those are the two that mainly come up. It's mostly decompression for Eva, honestly. Um, but you add those two things together and that's where then the behavior problem comes in. Um, and the behavior will probably come from the unmet need, but labeling it a problem will probably come from my expectation. So I kind of look at that when I think of expectation, I look at it as that, that sort of intersection and then something on the connection summit taught us that I actually have a t-shirt that says it on it that helps me remember is pause observe and reframe. And so I try to think of that as like, okay, so if I have this expectation or I, um, or I have this frustration, so we're talking about both of those words in there. Um, can I pause and just observe what my feelings are about it? What the stories I'm telling myself about it, and then reframe it, um, from a, a perspective that, could be helpful moving forward because just having that expectation and then allowing that to go into frustration, um, that doesn't help. Um, that doesn't help me. So, um, and with celebration, um, I think that's something I don't do enough, especially for myself. I think it's easier to celebrate something that the dog does. That's great. Um, but I, I think it is really important. And, um, and I love that about Marissa and that's something that she, that she tries to really emphasize is to, um, you know, we've got to counter that negativity bias. We're going to focus. It's kind of like that, that smart times 50 thing I was talking about. Those can be like little micro celebrations of like, Oh, my dog is laying down quietly on a bed. Like, yay, that's so great. Um, and, and just remembering to focus on not be like toxically optimistic and everything is flowers and bunnies and unicorns, but there are, even in the sucky things, there are these like little mini things to celebrate. And sometimes there's really big things to celebrate and that's great too. But um, yeah, we could tie expectation and frustration back into that. If we think we're going to be celebrating all the time, um, we're probably going to be frustrated. So there's a balance. Those are, those are three good words to, to keep in mind and to keep, um, yeah, keep ourselves grounded in a reality that lets us, yeah, be okay with all of the things, it, you know, expectations are okay. They're like a real thing. And so is frustration. And so is celebration and they're they're you know, they all belong. I love that. And I think we can also like not necessarily expect there to be celebrations, but we can be on the lookout for them nonetheless and, yeah. and find them. I think we can definitely celebrate that we met virtually and that we're putting yeah. out a podcast episode that is hopefully going to be helping people see their life with their dog differently. So yeah. um, first of all, thank you for that. Second of all, um, if people want to find you do you want them to find you somewhere do you have an instagram or something where people can sure they they could find me on facebook um just my name um and there's probably a profile picture on there i think of me and eva when she was a puppy so they could if they look for a i don't know how many tara stillwells there are on facebook but i uh don't have a um a business website or anything yet i don't have an instagram i'm pretty uh low tech in the social media world, but you can find me on Facebook and don't just friend me. Um, actually just send me a message because otherwise I'm not going to know who you are, but then I'd be happy to 
chat with you. I love talking to people about this stuff. Um, and uh, I think the more we talk about it, the better everything gets for people and for dogs. We can only second that. And so people, Facebook it is. Um, Tara, thank you very, very much for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. You can find a link to the website with the show notes through either Instagram at the Russ Cattle Dog or through our Facebook group with the same name as the podcast, Rough Around the Edges. If you would like to come on the show and share your story with us, then you can also contact me through either of these channels. And last but not least, if you like listening to this podcast, then maybe consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or any of the other platforms that you may be listening to this podcast on because they help us get found in the listings, allowing us to reach more people and help them feel less alone.